This week's episode is brought to you by the Talk Buster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce of their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So, listen to the Talk Buster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. And welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? It is okay. I had a long day at work, taken to napping in my car for lunch instead of eating, because it's what I need more than food at that point. So hopefully I can get back on maybe a more adequate sleep schedule so I don't require to do that. Uh, how have, how's your day? It's been a bit of a roller coaster. Like, lots of ups and downs and just screaming at the void day moments. Fun, fun. Yeah. So, let's keep things moving by thanking the people that make this possible. They are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Reed D, Krug, Stephen, and Arthur Crane. Now, if you'd like to become a patron, head on over to patreon.com forward slash geekswithshield. We have all sorts of great rewards like early access to our content, occasional movie reviews, all sorts of good stuff like that. And also, if you want to see a director smackdown from Michael Bay, consider becoming a patron today. I didn't realize that rhymed when I wrote that. Well, consider it a lucky accident then. I'll take it. So, yeah, uh, we're wrapping up season two year two of the podcast and that's kind of trippy to me i don't know how it is for you well i don't think seasons are the appropriate terms i think just year two that's easier to say so we've been yeah doing this for yeah, two years at this point yeah it's it's neat certainly it's kind of interesting that at this point it feels like just a natural part of my time spent i guess i don't know do you ever look back and think wait a second that episode was part of year one not year two they, they kind of bleed together in my brain a bit sometimes uh no but i haven't really had time to go and look at slash listen to our own material uh, i'm just talking about the ones i think about and i don't know the other thing i was thinking about leading up to this is how much our format has changed from the very like early episodes to where we are now and i think it's all for the best i'll i'll take your word for it it's hard for me to kind of think about what they were i suppose they were very we, we had a very rigid structure that i don't think worked very well initially and i think since we've opened it up we have a much better flow I can agree with that. Sure. And the other thing I was thinking about is we've had some really cool guests this year that I didn't think we'd ever actually get. Yeah, that's certainly the case. So, I, I mean, the fact that we have guests at all is already really cool. I mean, that's that's mostly you, Ulrich. we got to give you props or props or do. You've been very uh, on point about you know the branching out and the whatnot. I still can't believe half of them have said, sure, yeah, I'll come on. Yeah. Like, uh, who comes to mind for you? Uh, movie bob was a big one because when i first reached out to him i thought there's no way he's going to agree it's just you know a fun joke and like we knew chris at that point but we weren't really good friends and then when he said yeah sure it's like holy shit we're gonna get movie bob on here well that was kind of you know one of the big guests who do we go for now it's funny because my first thought does go to chris if only because like the fact that we've become friends with him that we like talk with him on offline and you know, we've had him on our show a bunch of times we've been on his show a few times it's like 
don't know. That's just really cool. Like all other things aside, like Chris is just a really cool guy and I like just chatting with him, you know? Yeah. I never would have expected that would have came, you know, Hey, do you want to be on our show? And he's not only become like a huge fan of ours, but of a good friend that, that again, not expected that when we first set out to do this. Yeah, certainly. So that, that, that comes to mind. I, I also think of people like, uh, you know, like SoTech that we had on, like, I know SoTech like you did, but I still thought it was pretty cool. Like once I went and looked at the kind of things he did, uh, obviously, yeah, Movie Bob was a big one. I mean, we've got a whole bunch of, was it, J was Jason Inman the, the comics? Jason right? Inman, our comics guy, yeah. I remember, having, I remember loving that conversation because he had a lot more, like, knowledge about kind of the, I, I think my favorite part of that, we were talking about the conversation of um, whether or not comics should be public domain, or at least which one should be, and whether that's a positive or negative thing. And I, I remember, I, I don't remember the details, but I remember loving that part of the conversation is talking about that you know so that's one of those things that just like stands out to me no he was a great guest you read his book afterwards didn't you yeah uh which again for anyone who may miss that J jason inman who's a, a vet right he wrote a book about essentially comic book characters from the perspective of a veteran and, and like, it, it's, it's a good read i definitely suggest that and we might have something else coming up involving him so keep an eye on that Oh, so cool. when this releases, that'll probably already be out. So now you know what we're talking about. Hmm. I, I didn't know. I, I, it's news <laughs> to me. But that, again, Ulrich handles most of the that actual stuff. My job is apparently uh, technical. <laughs> because you understand it and you have the patience for it. You know what? Fair enough. I used to get kind of grumpy when you didn't like read my my how-tos so that you can do the technical stuff now. But if it's a division of labor, if my pulling my weight is partially to do the tech stuff, I think that's fair and I'm not grumpy about it anymore. I read it. I just don't understand it. And it's just like, ah, I'll let Chance figure this out. I, I got I to gotta book Celine Dion for episode 12. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you know what really stands out? Doing hmm. the James Wan Smackdown. And here's why. I don't like horror movies. So the fact that you guys basically uh, into watching a shitload of horror movies, I know it's only like eight, but to me that's a shitload, in the span of like a month, which again, not much. That's like two a week or something. But to me, it's a lot. <laughs> and I think about um, how that experience went down and kind of like analyzing and breaking down which ones were, like what was going on, particularly got getting to the point where... Uh, I now, my eyes go right to any negative space. Yep. Horror movie. You, you learned that trick with him because he's a big user of that. I think the director of Smackdowns may have been one of our best ideas for this, you know, year. You We've got some great episodes. From, uh, just give credit where credit's due. Didn't you get it from someone's Twitter? No. Well, sort of. The idea came about because... There was a Twitter challenge going, you can only keep three Spielberg movies. What are those three Spielberg movies? And Chris and I had a conversation about it. And that inspired me, like, this could be a good episode format. We've tweaked it. And I think we've got it in a pretty good working format because that Spielberg one was a mess, both emotionally and technically to put together. I'm so surprised that the Kevin Smith one was the one that took two episodes, though. Yeah, and that gave me a new appreciation for Kevin Smith. So I, I really like that. Was a great con episode concept we came up this year that I'm really proud of. Yeah, I'm, a big I'm not fan looking of for SmackDown as as conversations. Plus, there are ways to kind of like motivate myself to watch movies I might not otherwise care to watch. Like 
of all the James Wan movies, I got to watch Dead Silence, which I really liked, and it's hilarious since you really hate it. So, yeah, that movie that almost was in this season of Geeks Who Haunt, but I we, we ended up getting booted to maybe next season. So I was about to say you, you and Slagathor tell... can talk about that. Yeah, just have Slagathor bring me on, and me and her can gush about it. <laughs> Yeah, I watched a lot of bad movies for that season this year, so no. No, I think we've had a lot of really great episodes this year, and we got some great stuff coming up moving forward I'm really excited for, too. But I don't know. I just look at, you know, our first year to our second year and look how much we've grown and changed and accomplished. It's 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 crazy. I also love the idea. We've only done one episode of it so far, but I love the idea of the pillars of geekdom because it builds off of something that I've, I've said for a long time, which is foundational fandom and Right now, like in my head, I'm constructing the house that is someone's fandom, right? And like just thinking about how that looks for each person, each person's house, quote unquote, is different. And I don't know, I just like that metaphor for conversation's sake. Oh, yeah, no. And I've definitely, at some point, we will do an episode on our own where it's just, you know, you or I discussing one of our base pillars. But we're going to get some guests in here to talk about theirs first. And then, then we'll circle around, you know, put the nepotism on the back burner. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if it's nepotism as much as ego. But I have uh, I have been described accurately by multiple friends as a self-hating narcissist. So do with that what you will. I think a lot of narcissism is rooted in self-hate, and that's where it comes from. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, I, I feel like there's a whole big conversation right there, because I think that even though I just responded to you in the positive, I don't think that you're necessarily correct. I mean, I, I guess metaphorically speaking you could make this kind of argument of like narcissism which is an abundance of self-love comes from deep-seated fears of inadequacy which is then connected to self-hate and i'm over philosophizing or psychologizing whatever so yeah and we're not a psychology podcast we're, we're not we're not dipping into that heavy stuff at least not tonight and, and apparently whenever i start talking about like things in detail or like studies Ulrich says i bore people so <laughs> whatever i'm just saying i don't have that since we left youtube which thankfully because that's is becoming more of a dumpster fire your long expositions shall we call them were marked by immediate well not immediate but noticeable clickaways and dropping attention i don't yeah, have yeah. that in our, i don't have that in our current form that'd be i'm kind of curious to see where people click out and how that works but we're not on youtube anymore and again i'm grateful for that because that was just a nightmare and youtube's only getting worse and those poor bastards yeah, I mean, COPPA is not helping. I mean, it's not like it's Sunshine and Roses over here in the podcast game, but at least the only company trying to kill us is Patreon. Oh. I mean, again, Ulrich handles most of that side of the business, so I I didn't know that that was a... Well, I guess I've heard some things about what, how Patreon functions. That have, I remember the thing, what, a couple years ago when they were like, they changed their monetization format of like, to really hurt people who had lots of small amount donors i don't remember the details i remember hearing a few people talk about it so yeah that's a thing we'll go into another time because oh boy that that's a lumen threat right up there with you know conan being declared one of the founders of podcasting uh yeah, all right that was a actual magazine cover you know conan you know late night show conan o'brien being one of the pioneers of podcasting and leading this brave new expedition and oh boy yeah we're getting off track of it this is supposed to be uplifting and positive yeah but i would say that the thing about that that's interesting is it comes back to this conversation of i i've had this i don't know how to phrase this but there's this concept of like technology being circular how you know we went from writing letters to 
telegrams to like phone to like video chat and then we've regressed back to like texting so and it's almost the same thing here where podcasting is just kind of a regression right it's it's just radio again but on demand now you know yeah i don't know a lot of technologies and that's kind of what i you know anytime i have to explain what podcasting is to an older relative or you know friend it's like it's just the radio we're, we're talk show hosts and we've come back and there's millions of us and we talk about all sorts of things and some of us are better than others yeah, my point of bringing that up is that so whoever's the pioneer of podcasting would basically just be radio stations. <laughs> so. I don't know. I feel like if we're naming any celebrity the one of the pioneers of podcasting, it's Kevin Smith because he got in early when this was really a non-existent format and he's been there ever since. And it's made him one of the big, you know, guests to get if you have a podcast. And I'm not going to lie, getting Kevin Smith on here would be really cool because we'd get Chris on here and we'd watch him just lose his mind. I wonder how early Dan Harmon got into it, because I feel like Harmon Town was pretty early in this whole sequence. The I definitely probably by put him in their same grouping. Yeah, apparently, and I, I haven't been following Harmon Town for the last six months or so, but December 3rd released what was supposedly the last episode of Harmon Town. Like, they're stopping doing it. And I was like, huh. I, can I, like, I was that. yeah. It was just interesting that like I went back to check it because a, a family member had asked me what podcast to listen to, and so I was just sending her links. And so I you know checked it on Harmontown, and it was like the last. It just had you know this title is like the last episode. I was like wow, right when I check in is a few days after it's supposedly done. I have to go back and you know go catalog, get through all the rest of the catalog. <laughs> yeah, and who knows? Maybe they wanted to you know do something different. I mean. I think that may be the biggest saving grace of our podcast is while we talk mainly nerdy and geeky things, we don't really have a set. These are what we talk about. This is how we talk about it. At least going into this year, we've uh, been more flexible. I think that has helped avoid creative burnout and burnout in general. Yeah, I like that we have certain formats that are familiar, but that we're not rigidly adhering to anything in particular. So I, I do like that. I also like that we've gotten to kind of like talk with, uh, well, I think the thing that's beautiful about the podcast community from my limited experience with it is that it is very, uh, what's the word? It is very networky as in like, it's very easy to like reach out to other people and meet people through it. And I don't mean in a cynical, like, Oh, get, get more clicks. I just mean, in a, I like being able to talk with these people that I would otherwise never get to talk to, you know? Oh yeah. That's 100%. And that's what I do like about the podcast community as it currently exists. And that's why there was so much pushback against Conan entering the pioneering thing as it's podcasting things. It's a whole other mess, but no, it very much is. We've made contacts and friends that we work with. They promote us. We promote them. We go on their shows. They go on our shows. Um, We've got, we've got a couple people coming back, and I realized the other day we've had so many guests at this point that there are some we haven't had on for like six months just because we've had so many other people wanting to come on the podcast. And to those of you, we're working on it. We're trying to get you back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember being on the, uh, the Pumpkin Copter. I was on, on his channel. <laughs> it's funny because that's the one where it's like I had a good conversation. It's just that the video that was released was just video of my face. And so I was like, this is a little hard for me to watch. I could listen to it, I suppose. <laughs> That's what I did. Anyway, I don't know if I have any more particular reminiscence, but I've enjoyed the year. I've enjoyed the talking with people. Uh, I've, I've become kind of the de facto 
tech person for for Chris's pa- Patreon stuff too. Like I, I just record his Patreon hangouts, which means I get to interact with all his fans as well, which is really neat. Like it's just weird to be in that kind of position, but it's really cool. And I've had great nights just talking with those people. So yeah, no, I definitely think. I mean, we've had a good year, and I'm really excited for you know our third year moving forward. What that's going to bring, what we're going to look at, you know, change wise, guest wise, format wise. Maybe we'll finally get a studio. <laughs> Expansion wise, there you go. That could mean a lot of things. So should we jump into the main topic? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? We got you know a little little bit. There's enough time to broach the. The, the topmost layer of this topic. Yeah. Um, if you know us, and if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know we love Watchmen. We love the Watchmen comic book. We love the Watchmen movie. And if you are patrons of ours, you know we love the Watchmen TV show. So we thought, what better way to have a great anniversary episode than just to talk about Watchmen? In all and- fairness, the only things about Watchmen we don't really love are the doomsday clock and like the one shots which are doomsday clock is bad sorry and the one shots are just okay so yeah i don't really i I always forget i thought you were going to say the fans because i've had some interesting interactions with quote-unquote fans recently you have really my only bad interactions watchmen related are with people who adamantly don't like watchmen and i have to i have to interact with them I don't interact with those, but I had one guy on Twitter the other day who didn't like the new Watchmen series because he didn't like they made Rorschach a white supremacist Nazi. And I went into like, okay, what's your reasoning? Like, this could be a good conversation. And his response was because he wasn't. And I said, uh, I'm sorry, but yeah, he totally was. And I proceeded to list off points and the guy responded with, but he wasn't. And I'm like, okay, I can tell this is going nowhere, so I'm just going to politely leave this conversation. Also, the basic premise of that is inherently wrong because, all right, even if we accept that Rorschach wasn't directly a white supremacist and say, yeah, he was a hateful person who hated a lot of people, he was pretty extremism, but we can say, fine, wasn't a racist. If we accept that, which I don't, but for sake of argument, if we accept that, the show doesn't make him one. The show makes him a symbol that racists use. They misquote him. They take his words and appropriate them for their own usage. That doesn't make him a racist. He's an icon for those racists, but that doesn't make him something that you see him as not. You get what I mean? Like Just because uh, some group of people afterward decide that you are something to them doesn't necessarily make you that thing. And oh, you- I'm 100%. Ver- Dude, I'm a historian. I know t- all about how historical figures get you know misrepresented by people adopting them as symbols. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm. That's what I reply to anyone whose big like criticism is something like that. Like, oh, they made Rorschach a racist. It's like if you honestly don't believe Rorschach is a racist, fine. The show didn't make him one. The show made the the cavalry, whose reaction is completely understandable from a certain point of view. It's still, though, not a good thing and doesn't necessarily harm Rorschach's character. It doesn't do any good or bad to what Rorschach's character was. This is a group of people 20 to 30 years afterward who have, who, like you said, are, are misrepresenting him. 
Yeah, and I recently went back and rewatched the ultimate cut of Watchmen just because, you know, one, why not? And two, refresh for the podcast. And one of the things I noticed about uh, all the characters, and I'll talk about that, but namely about Rorschach is calling him a Nazi isn't necessarily true, but he is definitely a hate-filled, angry man. And part of what makes him interesting is he is defined by there is good and there is evil. And where that gets interesting is his good is relatable. His evil, he also lumps in, you know, homosexual people, black people, poor people, all these other things. So it instantly becomes a much more interesting character when you take that lens into it. It's like, yeah, he's got a very strictly defined good and bad. And some of his good is, you know, good. And some of his bad is bad. But he's got a bit of gray mixed in there, which is interesting in this character who's defined by being black and white. That's another thing, too, that we get out of the way right off the bat. We are all weird giant fans of Watchmen. We do not, with maybe one ex- ex- uh, exception for Ulrich, which he could talk about if he wants, we do not idolize these characters. We do not identify directly with any one character necessarily. This is what makes these characters so great is how complex and how flawed, and I hate using that term because it's all over, oh, flawed character. I'm just saying they are terrible people. Yeah, every single one of them. <laughs> yeah, you don't the walk away from this going, my, what a lovely bunch of people, and not have totally missed the point of this book. Yeah, like Alan Moore set out to be like, superheroes would suck. Here is why. So these characters are made from the ground up to be terrible, and that's what makes them interesting. <laughs> so just saying, I want to get in front of that particular thing right there, because we've talked about it before, but there are some people who are like, Oh, you shouldn't like Watchmen because the character you should you know, the characters are bad. And I'm like, the characters are bad, and that's why it's awesome. <laughs> because they're they're good characters, but they're bad people. That's what I mean. Oh, saying. they're horrible people, but it's why they're horrible that makes them interesting. Now, anyway, we've talked uh to to give a quick like thing, Watchmen, to me anyway, is so great for a lot of reasons. But the one I always go to when I'm trying to explain some this to someone uh, is, and this is just one of like many reasons, one of my favorites is the idea that Watchmen has a lot to say about the concept of perspective and uh, varying philosophy. Not the concept of like one singular philosophy thematically, but the, co- the idea that you've got uh, six characters that all embody like a very distinct viewpoint that is extremely different from the other ones and that Watchmen comes down on, and none of them are correct. It's a matter of a combination of them all, and being able to understand and compromise and share is what's important. That's why the moral absolutist who refuses to compromise gets blown the fuck up. Yeah. Anyway, that, that idea, that theme runs very hard throughout both the, the graphic novel and the movie, and it's just one of my favorite things to point to of like, there's a pretty complicated thing going on here. And that's not even like, you know, top level of like what Watchmen is trying to say. It's just one of my personal favorite things going on. One of the things I've discovered on this most recent watch through that I can't believe it never really occurred to me, maybe because I wasn't thinking about it, but I love what it has to say about superheroes in that they are all angry, violent people looking for an excuse to vent that violence and anger. It's funny because the new show actually does a really good job of exploring that uh, even more, I would say, than the 
original story. Oh, I'd say did. the new show is very much like, did you miss that? Let me bring that more forward. And it kind of very much ties in with more how he writes characters. And for those of you who don't know, originally Watchmen was supposed to be about a bunch of uh, timely comics that DC had acquired, but they said no. So Moore had to make up a bunch of his own. Would have been uh, yeah, Captain Adam became Dr. Manhattan. The Question became Rorschach. Blue Beetle became Night Owl. Um, I don't remember the other ones, but those are the ones that come to mind. Yeah, I always forget the rest, but the other ones, it's kind of clear parallels. And a lot of people, I know, I my did when I first read it, it's like, oh, uh, Night Owl is supposed to be kind of a parallel to Batman. And it's like, Batman wishes he was Night Owl. Well, again, Blue Beetle is more accurate because Night Owl, the main distinction that that night owl has that doesn't make him batman at all is that night owl is an optimist that's actually what he's an interesting character it's been a long time since i've got my digs in on batman let me have this okay fine although the fact that kevin conroy is playing batman in a live action thing soon is awesome anyway um but the point is that night owl is an optimist he sees the world as good and evil but that good is like the default good can triumph still Exactly. And that's what really makes him more, that's why he's more Blue Beetle than Batman. Because Batman is, well, Batman's a lot of things. An optimist, he is not. Like, Batman's actually closer in personality and philosophy to someone like Rorschach. So I'd say a little bit of Rorschach, a little bit of comedian. The thing, though, that, uh, as you pointed out, right, or as I, I don't know, what was one of us pointed out is that the Watchmen characters, no one is, like, all of just one that's why you say like batman is partly rorschach can be well yeah because any any person is going to be you know some percentage of the various characters like it might be 30 percent rorschach and 30 percent night owl and you know like you know 40 percent dr manhattan or something but you get my point that, that that's kind of why they function great in the story is they are these like very dynamic kinds of personalities that you, you mix together you know Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, for better or worse, people find characters they identify with. You may not like them, but I think you are lying to yourself if you don't read it and go, I understand this part of this person's personality. I think it's terrible or I don't agree with it, but there is some part of it you relate to and understand. <sighs> Sympathize is too strong a word, but you know what I'm saying. See, you're just talking up because you know that in a second I'm going to force you to describe and justify your weird obsession with the comedian. Yeah. That time is now. Okay. I have taken a lot of shit for a long time for loving the comedian. And part of that was I first read this comic at 18. So, of course, the comedian is someone that speaks to me as an 18-year-old. As I've gotten older and I've reconciled more what it is about the comedian and why... I like him and can, well, yeah, I like him. I'm not going to stray too far into other words, is that he truly is the character that speaks to me the most because Eddie Blake is the epitome of so many of these other superheroes. He is an angry, violent man that wants to do violence and being a superhero gets to let him do violence under the guise of good, hence the whole comedian bit, the whole joke of him. I recently, you know, kind of sat down and thought like, okay, why comedian what is it about the comedian that works for you and yeah cards on the table he's a terrible person he rapes and kills and does all sorts of horrible things but it's the nihilism i've come to conclude because i am as i get older the older i get the more i believe the philosophy of no matter what you do in life at some point you are the villain in someone's story so just do what it is you want to do and don't worry about if you are the good guy or the bad guy and it is that 
part of the comedian that I like and I can look at and I can go, yeah, this guy is doing terrible things and it's horrible, but he's kind of okay with it. But at the same time, he's not. As we get this beautiful scene when he breaks down, when he finds out what Ozymandias is planning, he's like, I've done a lot of terrible shit, but this, this is too much. This is where my ability to segment myself into compartments breaks. I like all of that about the comedian. And I also kind of realized minus the really terrible stuff. If I were a superhero, I would probably be a supervillain and I would probably be the comedian in that I'm using my position as a superhero just to beat people up. It's funny because recently, so um, my lady Scarlet and I have been going back and rewatching Star Wars, you know, as you do. And we had this conversation where we both were like, yeah, we'd be Sith. We don't have the... Um, the selflessness to be Jedi. So uh -huh. and that's totally that's why I like the comedian is he's honest. He represents humanity at its worst with no frills or dressed up about it. He is just, Hey, I'm an evil monster, but guess what? Everybody is. The difference is I choose to accept that and wear that on my sleeve. And a little part of me relates to that. You know, what's funny. I have a, I'm sure someone else has done this before, but I'm pretty sure with those perspectives I talk about, you could put like, the characters of Watchmen on something uh, like a diagram on how they relate to each other and how close they are each other. Like the fact that Night Owl and Rorschach are actually very close. It's just like a few key aspects of their philosophies that differentiate them and make it very different. But the, the idea of the world being good and evil is very similar. Whereas say Dr. Manhattan and Ozymandias are extremely close because both of them see the world as basically equations or machines, things that follow a certain logic that someone who can see it can uh, understand. But the difference between them is that um, Ozymandias thinks by understanding that he can manipulate it. While Dr. Manhattan knows that no one can manipulate it. It just is. So like, uh, anyway, my point is that like the comedian is more, if it's, if we like use those five, the comedian, I wonder it's hard to say. But anyway, my, my point is that like how they kind of relate to each other, you know? Yeah, and that's how I've always explained the base philosophy of Watchmen is each of these people got to see into the void and then they had to deal with that profound new knowledge and each of them chose to react to it in a different way. And, you know, Dr. Manhattan was like, well, that's unpleasant and I'm just going to step away from it, which is also admirable at points. And the comedian was like, huh, that's terrible and there's no point in trying to do anything about it. So I'm just going to, you know, lean into it. And Rorschach looked into it and said, okay, that's terrible, but I'm going to be a force of good against that terrible at any cost. I, I feel like now that I think about it, now you put it this way, if, if the comedian is supposed to be like the exemplar the worst aspects of humanity uh, manifest without any sort of filter, right? I feel like he is the exact opposite of Dr. Manhattan, who is uh, lost all humanity from understanding. So, yeah. it's and he even calls, you know, Dr. Manhattan out on that in the bar scene when, you know, he's trying to, when he's telling him he doesn't care, he could have done all this stuff to prevent the horrible act that Eddie just did but he doesn't care. He pretends that he does, but he doesn't. By the way, if for some reason you're listening to this and you've listened to us and you have not read the Watchmen comic, I don't I don't know what to tell you at this point. Like watch the comic or read the comic or watch the movie because we'll plant the flag here. We both love the movie. Uh it's my personal favorite movie and up until very recently, I was a big fan of Zack Snyder. This what he's been doing lately has made him like me like him less, but 
as a director, I still really enjoy his work. And while we both accept and understand that the movie actually is thematically pretty different from the graphic novel because Zack Snyder's approaching it from a very different philosophical point, they are both still really good. So yeah, I'm gonna. I agree. Like, if uh, if it you know watch the movie. If that gets you interested, read the graphic novel, or the other way around. If you already are like comics, I don't know. I'm not a big comic fan myself. I love Watchmen, but that's the exception to me in general. So, so not to divert us too much, but I have heard this criticism, and I kind of want to see where you come down to it. And it's people saying that Zack Snyder doesn't understand Watchmen. Yeah, I've heard that criticism too. I watched. Uh, um, See, Bob talked about it during his uh, "Really That Bad" of uh, Batman v Superman, and. I would say that understand is not the correct word. I think it's that Zack Snyder interprets Watchmen in a very different way than its original intent. And, and here's the thing about that when it comes to art. Authorial intent, I don't agree with, with John Green that authorial intent does not matter. I think that authorial intent matters as much as you, the reader, decide it matters. If authorial intent has an impact on how you interpret the story, that is how you interpret the story, and it is only as important as that is. Now, Alan Moore and the original Watchmen is one of the most extreme left-wing pieces of material I've ever read. Yeah. And Zack Snyder's interpretation of it is a lot more objectivist, to be honest. And that's a very, very opposite philosophical point both of them are good stories and both of them touch on a lot of the same things but they are thematically different because Zack Snyder interprets the story different than how Alan Moore originally intended it and that's okay that is not inherently a bad or good thing that's just different interpretations of work yeah no I just you know I've had that one kind of thrown at me it's like well Zack Snyder doesn't get Watchmen how can you like Watchmen the comic and like Watchmen the movie and my response is they're they're both good i enjoy both for different reasons and like the big one i see a lot of people go up is well the most fundamental difference that uh snyder didn't get was all of the violence was so over the top and you know almost superhuman and that wasn't the point of watchmen it's like eh, isn't it i mean i would say that it's not the point of watchmen necessarily well, no, not so far as not, to say the not, point but having but the no here's my here's my thing the... yeah i i don't think I don't think Snyder um, elevating the violence to that level of like film and making it more cool than the grotesque imagery in the comic is not inherently antithetical to the Watchmen story. It's just a again a different interpretation of the same events. So I mean, really you're a historian. Don't... How many times have you and other historians looked at a series of events and interpreted it in completely opposite ways? Oh, that's the base of history is you know arguing over minute details and what someone might or might not have had for breakfast and how that affected their battlefield decisions yeah so i would say again anyone who says like Zack Snyder doesn't understand watchmen i don't agree with that but even if i did so what the movie is good and a different piece of material it is a di completely different art piece yes it, it is source material that is based off of but it is not beholden to it all it is beholden to is to try to be as good a piece of art as it can be. I think it's really good, even though it is pretty drastically different thematically from the original source material. And I can love them both, and that is perfectly fine. <laughs> My whole thing in defense of the violence and the point that I think it's kind of in there is to drive home the idea of what if superheroes really existed in this you know, world? And... 
I think the point, at least my interpretation, is showing this graphic violence is if you let an MMA fighter fight street thugs, there would be serious carnage. If you let an MMA fighter with serious mental issues and anger issues who vent their anger on, you know, untrained thugs, you would have this level of violence. So I feel that's the point of it. It's hammering home going superheroes in the real world would not be pretty. And the one thing I wondered was, okay, we've seen Dr. Manhattan, you know, apprehended people. But how did he just not vaporize everybody? Because that almost feels like that's what he does. And I mean, they're really, I don't know, it's its kind of murky. The whole Minutemen successful golden days of heroes is very murky. But I feel like a lot more people got murdered than uh, anyone's willing to admit. I mean, yeah, probably. But again, I mean, that's... Dr. Manhattan go, go. just zaps people. Are you, are you going to tell him to stop? <laughs> well, no, there is that. But I mean, that is kind of the whole underpinning of the characters. These are violent super strong people fighting you know bank robbers and small-time crooks this is a hammer to crack a walnut by the way I, you know yeah i wanted to bring up so Ulrich's favorite character as he said is the comedian and he got to kind of talk about why he loves the comedian now my favorite character is probably not who Ulrich thinks it is because it was Has for it a shifted? long time Yes, it has shifted. Okay, first you need to you need to talk about why you liked Rorschach so much and why you wanted the Rorschach mask for so long, and then you can go from there. So again, I uh, accept that Rorschach was a terrible person, but I liked the concept of um, moral absolutism. I understood the idea that Watchmen is saying moral absolutism is a bad thing in practice, but I thought there was something commendable about it in theory, kind of like. Oh, you know what? I was about to get onto a, a political thing, but th there are certain political systems that work really well in theory and don't work in practice. Anyway, so similar concept, right? And I, I liked uh, Rorschach's extremism made him a really compelling character to watch. But so I identified with him because I was an angry person for a long time. I understood that anger. And even if uh, he directed his anger in a in a way that was not, you know, positive. He he found always he found an outlet for it that in a lot of times did have positive outcomes. I mean, I, are we going to really argue that him killing someone who you know raped and murdered a young girl is is it, like that's anyway. <laughs> that's a whole another philosophical rabbit hole. I don't think we're ready to go down. Yeah. Anyway, point is that so I was in uh, I was in Rorschach for a long. I gotten out of curiosity, Ulrich, having now you know been doing this podcast with me for two years, um, and knowing me, who do you think is currently the character I identify with the most, and who I find the most interesting? And yeah, I'll stop there before I give you any more clues. I'm going to go with Ozzy Mandeus. Close, but no, it's Doctor Manhattan. That was my second guess because I, I I don't know where yours is coming from, but sometimes the aloofness and the disconnect of Dr. Manhattan is very appealing in my everyday life. It's like, man, just to be an omnipotent god that didn't have to give no shits, that sounds lovely. See, the thing, Ozymandias uh, never was super interesting to me because I understand him, but Ozymandias is essentially a mortal god, whereas... Uh, Dr. Manhattan is an immortal god, and that distinction is very important because how they behave is so different. Now, the reason why Dr. Manhattan is currently my most, my favorite character and the most interesting is because of that sociopathy that pervades him. It's the idea of 
And I find this happening to me all the more often as I get older, that I research something, I learn more about it, and the more I learn about it, the less I care about things related to it. You know what I mean? Like there's a certain level of of um it just doesn't matter. Like I, I have an, I have enough knowledge about this thing to know it just doesn't fucking matter. That's what yep. And no, I'm, I very much get the appeal of Dr. Manhattan, especially now that I've gotten older. Yeah, like, I, I wish I could be as active about certain things as I was when I was younger, about important, you know, things for, for certain kinds of, you know, people and areas and, you know, whatnot. And I just don't have the, the motivation or the energy to do it anymore. And that's that's the kind of thing that I... I feel like I relate to Manhattan about is his like, and I'm not saying this is not from an arrogant, like, Oh, I know so much that I don't care. I, I want to care. And that's, I think the thing that especially I like about Manhattan is you can kind of tell that Manhattan doesn't necessarily like the way he views the universe. It just is the way he views the universe, you know? And there's that concept of like how, how much, can you affect how you feel about something? In his case, he can't. And I love that he knows that. Like, both, and, you know, both comic, TV show now, and uh, movie, he very much has this, he understands that how he perceives time and how he is, is frustrating to people. And he wants to, you know, change it, but at the same time, like, I can't, and it sucks, and I'm sorry as much as I can be sorry. And it doesn't help that I find myself I'm about to be a little sad sacky here, but I find myself so often um, in situations where I'm like, none of this that I have to do or say or feel is for me. This is all for you, whoever you are. And that feels like, and, and I, I catch myself thinking things like that. And then I'm like, man, you are an asshole. I'm talking to myself, like, why do you not care? It's like, I want to care, and I try to care for the betterment of other people. But Example. Here's a very simple example. I am a nightmare to get a gift for. Doesn't matter what the holiday is. I, I am not good at receiving gifts. And part of why I'm not good at receiving gifts is because receiving gifts isn't for me. It's for them, whoever is giving me the gift. I have to put on a fucking act and a show to... To make them feel better <laughs> like i didn't ask for a, you know the thing and now you are literally putting me in a position where if i don't behave a certain way then i'm the asshole for not accepting your gift graciously you are forcing this on me and anyway nope and again this is why when you start digging into watchmen and start talking to people about watchmen and when you start analyzing the characters of watchmen these characters become so much more than their base parts. And that, that is why we love discussing Watchmen. This is my favorite movie for a multitude of reasons, but one of which being this is one of the movies we really bonded over in that we watched it, we paused it, we discussed scenes like it was a film class. And we were having lectures about the symbolism and the meaning and the subtext and all of that. And even more so, when you ask someone who their favorite character in Watchmen is, you get this immediate insight into their personality and their inner workings. Yeah, which is why I wanted to let me cap off because it's very easy to take what I just previously said and be like, wow, he he is an asshole. And yes, I am. But I want to point out that I understand that the people in my life are important. So that's why even though I feel the way I just described, I will continue to 
to do those things, to put on those acts, because those people are generally more important to me than the, for lack of a better term, irritation of having to be an actor, you know? And yeah, and that's, I think, is there in all of the characters, is Rorschach apologizes to Night Owl about being the way he is and making him put up with all of that. Well, again, Dr. Manhattan's a perfect example of this for me because Dr. Manhattan gives, at the end of the comic, he gives zero fucks about Earth. Literally, the only reason he comes back is Lori, who he actually is in love with. And that's how I feel sometimes, where it's like, I am perfectly willing to take a person in my life who really is important to me, and they might ask me if I want to do something I don't want to do. But I'll be like, yeah, because you're important to me. I will do the thing with you because that's more important to me than the thing that we're doing itself. And so those are the kind of situations where I'm like, yeah, I totally understand Manhattan who will literally try to save the world because of this one person who is yeah, the person who matters. I mean, the comedian, not only does he try and, you know, connect with his daughter and obviously, at least my read of it, he feels bad about everything that he did. I mean, he's crying on Malik's bed as he's forced to deal with all of that. And I think Old Man Comedian is a, would be a fascinating character if they could ever write it correctly and get away from all the nasty, grimy bits and go, this is a man who has just countless issues and then him in his final days reconciling all those terrible issues i mean there's even that great line from laurie's mother where the future gets a bit dimmer and the past well even the grimy bits get a bit brighter yep now this is like just touching really the surface of a lot of like i said like he said we have we got we bonded over watchmen we spent literally like no exaggeration you know tens of hours together like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say hundreds but i'm trying not to exaggerate but literally probably like upwards of 30 to 40 hours just sitting on a couch with the movie paused talking about what's happening and that's before we started talking about it when the movie wasn't playing <laughs> you know yeah, no this is a movie that we we, we watched together is an event we let people know, like, listen, this is a four-and-a-half-hour movie. We're going to make it an eight-and-a-half-hour movie with discussion and follow-up questions afterwards. So this will be a panel event. Yeah, which so that would honestly be really cool if we could do that someday. I'm going to put oh, a pin yeah. in that. That, that. that would be awesome. If, if, if people wanted it, sure. But that's certainly a thing that, like, we generally don't have other people watch this movie with us because that's – not fair to them <laughs> it's exhausting and we recognize it because some of them, they just want to watch the movie they just want to yell like slag with our blue penis when dr manhattan is on screen they don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of it all and the examinings of the philosophies presented and how you can look at it and going well this is what i think they're saying about nihilism in particular as it relates to moral absolutism but you see this being represented in other characters and did you notice that the door number of Eddie's apartment is 300, and that is a direct callback to 300 the movie, which I only noticed in my most recent watch-through. By the way, as a quick side note, I mentioned Dr. Manhattan and the comedian being opposites, but one thing that connects them is they are the two nihilists, but they are nihilists in very opposite ways. Dr. Manhattan is a nihilism because he knows for a fact that uh, nothing actually matters because everything is predetermined, so he resigns himself to being part of the said predetermined thing. The comedian is a nihilist because he says nothing matters, so I'm going to do whatever I want. So one of them is like nothing matters, so I'm going to do what I'm destined to do. And the other is nothing matters, so I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Anyway, it's connected but opposite. Anyway, it's just, it's, again, uh -huh. it's the kind of thing that we I never said that before. And while talking now, I just like oh, this, 
cool little connection that I didn't think about before. It's always something new to think of. No, I get it. This is a great movie. I will defend this as a great movie. This is my favorite movie. As for the ending, I honestly stand by the movie ending over the comic book ending because it fits better narratively, in my opinion. I think the squid has a place, but it feels a bit sudden and kind of I'm weird. I'm glad the show. I'm glad the show is going off the comic endings. I think the squid made for a better follow-up. Oh yeah, 100% follow-up, it works better. Yeah, but as far as a single contained story, I like the movie ending more because it ties it back into central characters a lot better. So, although seeing the squid in live action in the show was awesome. Yeah, I just, I don't, I'm not part of that group of people that, ever were mad at this movie for changing the ending. I remember coming out of theater going, huh, that's different, but not terrible. I got, and then thinking about it, because there are people that hate this movie solely because either A, they changed the ending, or B, they hate Zack Snyder. And again, he's doing a lot of stuff recently that's not making me like him, but I still love him as a director. Yeah. Anyway, we could talk about Watchmen literally for hours and hours, but I think we should probably move on to the... My my closing thoughts are to be continued, because we'll find an excuse to talk more Watchmen at some point. Nothing ever ends. Perfect. <laughs> anyway, so suggestions of the week, because we'll continue this discussion later. My suggestion of the week is a YouTube channel that I discovered recently called Legal Eagle. Have you heard of it? Is this the one where uh, they have a lawyer break down courtroom cases and laws and stuff in fiction? Uh, and in reality. But yeah, it's this guy. Okay. Been a, I have seen this one. Yeah, he's been a trial lawyer for like 11 years, and he will either break down real law or fictional law. Uh, I've watched, I watched, I found him because I, it recommended um, him analyzing The Measure of a Man, which is one of the best Star Trek Next Generation episodes. It's all about whether or not Data is a person, a sentient being or not. And then I started watching his other stuff where he like talked about real law, like talked about the most important Supreme Court cases of the year. And it's like, you know, it's all legalese, but it he makes it entertaining enough. He's a good, decent enough teacher that I'm like, yeah, if, uh, if you're the kind of person who doesn't have the time to delve into every, you know, super important piece of legislation, like I tried to do for a few months at the beginning of this current administration's term, and it's just too exhausting. This is one of those kind of channels that's like, hmm, all right, give me a nice little breakdown about like some of the more important stuff I need to know from last year. Like, for example, I learned from him that due to a Supreme Court case that happened this uh, this year, it is now legal, well, legal is the wrong word, but it's now um, constitutionally provided or whatever, police can draw your blood if you're unconscious. That's something that they couldn't do before because it was protected under uh, unlawful search and seizure. But now, because of the Supreme Court case saying, like, if they believe that evidence can be um, important, evidence that they require in a case can be lost, they can supersede unlawful search and seizure, which one of the implications is they can draw your blood if you're unconscious. Not going to go into that one right now. Yeah, well, no matter what you think about it, the the point is I now know about that because of Legal Eagle. So, yeah. Cool channel, check out. Yeah, like I said, I've seen him in you know suggestions. I've never, I haven't seen anything that particularly interests me. Namely, because sometimes I just I don't want to know more than I know because the world's already dark enough. Anyways, Fair enough. Uh, I recently finished a book by one of my favorite authors, and if you know even a little bit of alternative history, you know the name Harry Turtledove. But if you don't, this is the guy that traffics in alternative history and simply. Most of his books are in one of two camps. Either he asks a what-if question, or he asks 
what if we had World War II set in blank? And he's done World War II set in a Southern Victory world. He's done World War II with magic, which is really cool. Uh, this one is a combination of the two. It's a little bit World War II and it's a little bit what if. And the question is, what if Joseph Stalin became president instead of uh, FDR? Is Joseph Stalin still Russian in this what if? <laughs> no, Joseph Stalin this one is known as Joe Steele. And FDR dies in a tragic and mysterious fire. And a man that is Joseph Stalin in all but name steps in and you follow the course of his administration from the election all the way up into, I think it's 1964. And it's got two main characters, two brothers that fall on either side of the whole thing. One is very much anti against him and one is very much for him. And it's a fascinating book just to see, you know, the changes that would go on and what America would look like under a Stalin-esque regime. But it also kind of hammers home the point that all it really takes for any nation to fall into this is to be in a bad situation and have someone go, I can fix it. And everyone go, well, okay, let's see how, let's go with this. And then before they realize it's too late, like, oh, we've done something terrible. I mean, it sounds like an interesting book to me. Is it, uh, well, I've been recently reading historical fiction with uh, Shogun by James Clavel, which I can recommend, but I'm only halfway through the book. So I'm going to wait before I talk about it in a you know episode format. So the idea of, Alternative history. I think I've actually read like a a good length alternative history book before. I know I've heard the name Turtle Dove. So yeah, he's one of the big ones, and I would really suggest if just pick up any of his books because all of his books. Now, to be fair, most of his books are like seventeen parts. The dude, you know, writes huge scapes. He has thirty some characters that are in that you know die and roll off. Uh, Joe Steele's example of a single book with limited characters, but it's really interesting because it starts out so well because this is the Great Depression. It's like you know, first thing we're gonna do, we're gonna you know labor camps. We're gonna get people back to work. And everyone's like, oh, that's a good idea. And then as it progresses, it gets more and more into very much copying what Stalin did to Russia and people going, well, is this really good? I mean, yeah, we're making money, but at what cost? And you get to kind of see what Trotsky does with Russia because Trotsky is another character. So Trotsky ends up leading Russia and it's a very different thing. And the, it's all, it's very interesting because it's all the same history plays out. It's just, what if we had Stalin as a president? And it's a great insight into what Stalin did and how it differs from the ideas of socialism as everyone says it is. And with its limited characters, it's a great book. If you're looking for alternative history or you're looking into getting Harry Turtle up, this is a great jumping on. All right, cool. I don't have any complete thoughts about that. I'll have to get back to you when I know more. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of the show. All right. And it's at this point I'd like to say, hey, you, as in the person listening, thank you. That's awesome. Like, I'm actually surprised. And as you've been listening for, you know, whatever chunk of time in the last two years, even more so. Like, I don't know how to say these kind of things without coming off as sappy or contrived or any of that stuff. I'm just trying to be as sincere as possible. The fact that anyone listens to us, it fucking blows my mind. And the fact that you're listening to us right now, I I thank you with everything I'm capable of thanking you. With all of my being. You are awesome. Anyway, whatever you're listening to us on, that's awesome as well. It's continued the previous awesome. But we have other things we're part of too. So we are on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, and I see Spotify listed now, which I think is a new one, Orc. Uh, also, iHeartRadio as of today. 
Wow, and iHeartRadio. That's a that's a pretty good selection. So, but if there's one that we're not on that would be more convenient for you, let us know what it is so that we can take a look. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.